Hey everyone, well, welcome back to another episode of How I Got Here. Um, we're joined by another one of our classmates, uh, Jordan Lee, who's an overall incredible individual, um, and we're excited to have him here. Um, welcome to the show, Jordan. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to sit down and talk through uh, my life with you. Definitely. And Jordan, um, as you know, one of the key things that we're, we're here to do is just learn more about um, people's upbringing and kind of where they grew up. Would you would you mind sharing a little bit about um, kind of who was involved in your life and where you were when you grew up? Yeah, sure. So I'm from Morristown, New Jersey. It's in sort of like north central Jersey. It's considered a suburb of New York City. So we have a lot of folks who commute into the city about an hour for work pretty regularly. Um, so it's pretty standard suburban life, um, not the most diverse neighborhood to grow up in. Um, you know, it was primarily Caucasian, so most of my friends growing up were were white. And I never really thought much about the fact that I was an Asian American growing up in a, in a white community because I kind of just never made the distinction between what was different between myself and others. Um, so growing up, I largely just considered myself, uh, you know, a normal American kid. Uh, and my parents were, didn't really push me to learn or speak Chinese because they both spoke different dialects. So my dad's from Shanghai. Uh, he came to the States when he was around 13. And so he speaks Shanghainese, Mandarin, and a little bit of Cantonese. And then my mom's family... Uh, it's from a little bit outside of Hong Kong, and so they're predominantly speaking Cantonese. Uh, but my mom was born and raised in Brooklyn, and so her Cantonese is pretty bad. I mean, she can understand most things, but when she talks to my, my grandparents, it's kind of a Chinglish mix where she's mostly conversing in Cantonese and then throwing in a bunch of English words. So because they didn't speak similar dialects um, or the same dialect, they didn't really force me um, to try to learn one or the other. You know, I had brief stints in Chinese school. Uh, and for folks who don't know what that is, it's essentially on the weekends, you know, you spend all Saturday essentially going to a different school where they teach you um, some dialect of Chinese. So for a little while I was taking Cantonese and then ultimately switched to Mandarin later down the road. And so it was kind of like this hodgepodge. Um, and I never really fully, uh, you know, learned any any Chinese dialect, which which I'm, I definitely regret to this day, uh, just because it feels like there's like an expectation of, of me being able to, to speak Chinese. And it would definitely be helpful for me to, you know, converse with my grandparents. Um, but regardless, most of my family has migrated to the States and they're mostly concentrated in the tri-state area. So New York, New Jersey and Connecticut. And so that was nice growing up. I was kind of in and out of New York City pretty frequently, um, just spending time with my, my grandparents who are still in Brooklyn. And then my mom also has some siblings who are scattered throughout um, the rest of New York State. Um, and... So, yeah, growing I up, I, go ahead. No, I just didn't realize that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's nice having um, family be close together. And, you know, being on the West Coast, there's not a lot of folks out here. And I'm definitely feeling um, that distance. And so ultimately, I think my, my plan, because, you know, my, my parents and my grandparents aren't likely to move at this point, but my ultimate plan is probably to, head further back east to at least spend more time with, with family as, as they get older. Um, but yeah, so I mean, growing up, I had a, a lot of pretty standard interests. I was really into sports. Uh, my number one sport growing up was baseball. Um, so I played a ton of baseball, watched a ton of baseball, collected baseball cards. Um, and, you know, I've tried out soccer, basketball. I played tennis in high school. I ran cross country and track. So I was a little bit all over the place, but ultimately just loved being outdoors and being active. And I think that's part of the reason that I ultimately 
fast forward many years, chose to come to Haas is because the Bay Area just has so much to offer by way of um, outdoor activities, exploring nature and things like that. So I think it's been a great fit. But, you know, as I mentioned, ultimately, we'll probably choose to head back to the East Coast. Uh, my partner's family is from Michigan. And so, you know, maybe Chicago, maybe New York, but TBD. So Jordan, I'd like to take a step back and just talk to you about kind of growing up a little bit. Um, so sure. your, your parents both um, kind of are now in New Jersey and then they have you and um, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of a, a, you're a young kid, I guess. What, what was it like growing up in New Jersey? Um, I guess, would you mind just talking a little bit about um, kind of your, your childhood and, and kind of what it was like? Yeah, um, I had two best friends growing up, Doug and Tara. Uh, they both lived in the neighborhood so it was super convenient and we were basically together all the time um growing up i'm trying to think i mean it's like pretty standard suburban suburban life you know most of my time was spent outdoors my mom would try to regulate the amount of time i was watching tv or playing game boy or n64 any of that stuff and so i me doug and tara would just spend a ton of time outside there were some some woods behind Doug's house. And so we spent a lot of time in the woods kind of messing around by the creek. Um, you know, it was a pretty close-knit community of kids in our neighborhood. I was lucky enough to grow up in a neighborhood with a lot of kids around my age. So there was always something going on, whether it was like a pickup game of, of baseball in the street or, um, you know, playing with the dogs, bouncing on trampolines. So pretty standard suburban stuff. I never really thought too much about, um, you know, anything when you're a kid, you're kind of carefree. You focus on getting your homework done as fast as possible so you can go play outside. And that was like the first probably 10 to 12 years of my life, honestly. Um, It was nice. You know, I think I was very privileged in that way where, you know, my parents had stable incomes. You know, I was in a two-parent household. I had a younger sister. Um, and I think, you know, if anything, my household was like extremely strict. My mom is very particular about the way things are done. And so we always had chores growing up. You know, I was never given an allowance. Um, it's funny because one time I had heard that, you know, some of the some of the kids in the neighborhood were getting paid by their parents for performing well at school. So they were like, oh, yeah, every time every time I get an A, I get, like, on a test, I get, like, five or ten bucks, and that's my spending money. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I can definitely finagle some sort of deal with my mom. And she just, like, laughed me out of the room. Um, you know, expectations were always really high in my household. And I think that in particular has influenced my own expectations of myself you know, at times it was difficult growing up with those academic expectations because my mom, you know, I'd come home from school and be like, hey, I got like a 95 on this test. And she's the type of person that would never tell me that that was good. And so it would always be like, oh, what happened to the other five points? Or, you know, well, which questions did you get wrong? And there was always that focus on how can you be better? You're not necessarily doing as well as you could. And so I think that type of mindset still kind of persists to this day, both in school and at and in professional settings. No, it's interesting, and, and so you're growing up, and um, you have like a um, you have parents that seem like they're very, very supportive of you, but also have like high expectations. Um, yep. And and I guess t- walk me through kind of what that was like after you started kind of elementary school. It sounds like this was something that kind of permeated um, your 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 mindset even from a very early age. Um, what was what was going to kind of middle school like for you? And um, you mentioned a little bit about like your Asian heritage um, and kind of the dichotomy of of, of growing up. Um, in, as an Asian in kind of a predominantly white area. Can, can you just walk me through what that was like um, kind of throughout kind of your early early childhood? Yeah, I mean, you know, there were there would be some times where some kid would make an offhand comment, usually nothing ill-intentioned, but more like an ignorant thing. You know, I think if you watch shows like Fresh Off the Boat, for example, Um, You know, it portrays a kid who brings traditional Chinese food into school and the kids make fun of him because it like 
is unfamiliar, it smells different or something like that. I never really ran into those types of issues. I think, like I said, my my parents, for, for one reason or another, didn't really try to um, force, quote unquote, uh, my, my cultural heritage onto me. So I would, you know, bring normal, quote unquote, normal American food in for lunch. I participated in sports and you know, I, I think ultimately I didn't think too much about it, but it's interesting that you mentioned middle school because actually towards the end of middle school, my family moved. So my dad had gotten um, a job in Beijing. Uh, and so after seventh grade, we moved to Beijing. And that's actually, that's when I started to think more, I think, critically about a whole a whole number of things from you know what it means to actually be privileged especially in an international community you know i hadn't really experienced um international poverty which i think is a little bit different from you know seeing a homeless person on the streets in new york city um versus actually going to a village in rural China, where there's no running water or electricity. I think those are like two very different experiences. Um, and I also started to actually learn Mandarin just by way of being in Beijing. And I think that um, started to get me thinking more about like my own identity, if that makes sense. Definitely. And, and what was that like? I mean, you're, you're a young you're a young person, you have two best friends that are in your, your local neighborhood, you're moving to this unfamiliar place where you look like um, you would fit in, but you're, you don't speak that language. What was that like? Yeah, I didn't, I mean, I didn't want to go at all. I'll be honest with you. Um, I resisted as much as I could. Ultimately, obviously I had no real decision-making power as a 12 year old. Um, but I, I hated the idea you know, everything in my life was changing. Middle school is a super awkward time for for a lot of kids. And, you know, I was afraid of getting thrown into a totally new environment in a totally different country where I didn't speak the native language. Um, you know, I think thankfully I was going to an international school. So English was the default language and I was taking Mandarin as a foreign language similar to how anyone in the States would take, um, you know, Spanish, French, Italian or any of the other Romance languages. Um, so I, I definitely hated the idea of, of moving to China, but I was actually pleasantly surprised when I got there. You know, I think one thing that ever attended an international school, um, is that there's a ton of turnover every year, you know, because a lot of kids are, there's military families, there's who are politically involved and their kids, and they're just moving around all the time. So it actually fosters a very inclusive environment where if, you know, 30 to 50% of of your school is turning over every year and getting replaced by a whole new batch of kids, then kids are just more used to that that type of fluidity versus I think in the in the states when you've grown up in the same community your entire life there's some some of, a, a larger element of like clickiness. So I actually felt very welcomed in the international community. I think it was weird for me from more of an identity standpoint because when I would go out you know, to the market, to a restaurant, anywhere um, in public, you know, the expectation is obviously that I would speak in Mandarin. And so folks would approach me and just start saying, saying things, engaging me in a conversation. And it was weird for me to say, you know, I don't speak Chinese, but in Chinese, in like bad Chinese. Um, yeah. So you could kind of see them, the other person processing that and like the initial confusion, you know, ultimately, I think, it was pretty obvious that I was a Westerner just based on the way that I was dressed. Um, but that was like an interesting thing to try to navigate. And so because my dad spoke good Mandarin, I, I tended to um, use him as a bit of a crutch, but I also felt like I had an obligation to, to learn. And so I was able to get to a point where I could, you know, have basic conversations with folks. But unfortunately, upon returning to the States, you know, two two years later, didn't really capitalize on that momentum. And so my, my, my Mandarin right now is pretty, pretty shit, to be honest. And so what was that like going to this international school? You mentioned that kind of you have this turnover of people that are coming from very mm -hmm. diverse backgrounds. Was it something you enjoyed? I, I mean, it sounds like it was a pretty inclusive culture. 
very inclusive culture. Um, you know, there were a lot of kids from the States, a lot of Koreans, some Chinese nationals, folks from from all over. Um, and I think for me, that was my first real experience with, you know, a cultural melting pot because everyone's coming from such different places. So I learned a ton um, just by virtue of, about other cultures, just by virtue of being around these people all the time. You know, I think in, in some ways it was diverse and in other ways it wasn't. So because it was, um, you know, a private international school, everyone had a certain baseline level of like wealth and privilege that, you know, nobody really understood back then when you're in like seventh and eighth, ninth grade. Um, but, you know, reflecting back on it now, I went to school with mostly people who were in the like 1% of whichever community they, they were coming from. And I think that did influence some of the activities. So, you know, in China, the legal drinking age is fairly fluid and not really enforced. So, you know, kids were going out to bars in seventh and eighth grade. And that was like a thing. Um, you know, I was back then, I think a little bit more straight, straight edge and straight laced. So I didn't really, that was never really interesting to me as like a 13 year old, just going out to a bar and getting super drunk. Um, so, you know, I, I found my core group of friends. It was, you know, I was definitely a little bit nerdier back then. Um, you know, I'm still nerdy today, but I was, um, you know, I found my group and it was a very good two years in, in Beijing, all told. Definitely. And so you're, you're, you're wrapping up and then why did you guys leave? Um, did your dad just move back? Um, and I guess, what does your dad do? Yeah, so he, he worked um, for a company called BEA Systems that has since been acquired by Oracle. So he's been in, like, the, the software space for a while. And he was essentially, it was a, like, a fifth-term project. So we knew going into it that it would only be two years. Um, he was doing, you know, I, I didn't really ask too many questions back then. Some something related to, to R&D um, with the, the team that was based in China. And so we knew going into it that it was going to be a two-year thing, which was actually a point of relief for me before we moved. I think if there had been a lot more uncertainty around like when we were coming back, it would have been a lot more difficult. But in my head, I was like, okay, you just make it through these two years and then you can come back because the plan was always go from Morristown to Beijing and then kind of boomerang back to Morristown. So like we didn't sell our family home. We kind of just rented it out for those couple years. And so in the back of my mind, I was always like, okay, you know, we'll have this, this certain thing that I can return to in two years. And I think that helped um, me mentally. Um, but by the time the two years were up, I didn't really want to leave. You know, one thing I haven't talked about too much was, being in China was just a great travel opportunity for the family. You know, it's obviously tough to go from New Jersey to Japan or New Jersey to Thailand. But since we were based in Beijing, we used that kind of as like a jumping off point. And so we um, visited a number of e Eastern Asian and Southeast Asian countries. And that also was definitely, were definitely the highlights of, of the trip, you know, going to the beaches in Phuket back in um ooh, what was the year like it had to have been like a decade over a decade ago now it was like 2005 2006 um before it got super touristy we you know we had the chance to go to cambodia singapore japan and so i'm really thankful for that opportunity to to travel and i haven't really been able to go back to asia and explore since so by the time 2006 rolled around and it was time to go back. I didn't actually really want to go back because I was having a good time. And I found my, my, my core friend group. Uh, and, you know, life was, life was good in Beijing. I was able to do a lot more things independently. Um, and everyone lived super close together. So there were these kind of gated communities of expats. And they were all located pretty close to each other around the school. So it's super easy to, to hang out with people. You didn't really need like your parents to drive you anywhere. You can just kind of get on your bike and go see your friends. And um, I really enjoyed that, that type of freedom, even though culturally there was a barrier because I didn't speak great um, Mandarin. 
Yeah, and, and so, I mean, it sounds like you really were able to make the most of kind of the experience, even though you didn't initially want to go. And, and I feel like those travels mm-hmm. is just something phenomenal. Um, and so, Jordan, you're, you're now um, kind of graduating or finishing up your middle school years in Beijing, and you're back on your way, um, maybe even grudgingly, to, to Morristown. Was, was that transition hard, um, making your way back to, I guess, now high school? Um, in this town? I wouldn't say it was hard. Like, it wasn't something I was dreading um, to the same extent that I was going to China because, you know, I, I already had my network of friends back in New Jersey. You know, even when we were in China, every summer we would go back to, to New Jersey, both to see family, but also to, 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 to see friends. Um, and so I, I was coming back to a community that was mostly familiar um so it was kind of bittersweet right leaving behind the friends i had made in china some of whom i i still keep in touch with and then kind of reintegrating back into um american culture in in new jersey so i wouldn't say it was difficult you know most of the the folks i was friends with beforehand i maintained friendships with there were a few folks who who had left you know both of my best friends, Doug and Tara, actually um, did not go to the same high school as me. Doug had moved to Italy and then to Maryland, and then Tara had just ended up going to to a different high school. Um, so it was a little bit challenging to not have that, like, core, core group, but I think I quickly um, readjusted. Um, there was a little bit of reverse culture shock, I guess, but because I had been living in, um, you know, Western-style homes and going to a western style school i don't think that was as bad as if i um as it would have been if i had been going to like a a local boarding school for example um so i i while i enjoyed my time in beijing and you know potentially wish that i could have spent one or two more years there i was relieved to to be back in the states especially because um you know by the time i got back i was starting sophomore year of high school and so you know starting to think about college a little bit more seriously um and i didn't really i I wanted to go to school i had always wanted to go to school in the states and so i think that would have been a little bit more challenging had i stayed in beijing Um, you know obviously because you can't really just drive to a bunch of campuses and do a tour and there's probably not as many information sessions and things like that um so so ultimately i feel like even though I would have liked to extend that stay a little bit, you know, everything happened for a reason. And I had a great experience the last three years of high school back in Morristown. As I mentioned, I um, ran cross country and track, played a little bit of tennis. And so I was fairly involved extracurricularly um, and reintegration really wasn't, wasn't that difficult. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's great to hear um, kind of about that transition and, Jordan, would you mind just sharing a little bit more about kind of what high school Jordan was like? What were, what were you involved in? Um, kind of what were you thinking about? I know you mentioned your mom, for instance, was very academically focused. Um, was that something that was always top of mind for you? And were you thinking about like college? What What was high school like for you? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty I was pretty focused on academics and extracurriculars for for most of high school. Um, in terms of what I was involved in outside of sports it was a a lot of um community oriented stuff and then like academically oriented stuff so i was co-president of the math team um i was i had leadership roles in like the national honor society i was part of the key club which is like the community service club um i did future business leaders of america uh i was i did had a short stint on the on the debate team uh, so it was a lot of like academically oriented things and, you know, I, I've maintained that orientation towards giving back, um, and just like community service, I think has been very consistent since I got back from China. You know, I think that changed my perspective on, you know, what it means to have opportunity and like how I can use my own uh, you know, place in life to, to help improve the lives of others. 
Um, but some of the extracurriculars I was doing in college were definitely like, oh, I can do this because it will be a good thing for um, getting into a good college. And that was, you know, the path that I, that my, my parents had kind of set me on. Um, so my dad actually went, my dad went to Cornell. Um, and so I had, I always, in the back of my mind, maybe subconsciously had that as a goal. Um, to get into a, a similar caliber of school. And I knew that there were certain kind of like concrete steps that you could take in high school to position yourself um, for for that. Gotcha. No, so so Jordan, I mean, you had this eye-opening experience when you went to, to Beijing and kind of you have this focus now um, coming back into the high school years. And can you walk us through what that application process was for, for college? I know Many of the folks listening probably are going through something similar or had that similar arduous process that was um, kind of stressful. Um, uh, when you were thinking about it, how are you considering um, where you wanted to go? I mean, it sounds like proximity was important, um, but what was racing through your mind? Yeah, there were a lot of considerations. I think the first thing I mentioned, I was involved in like the future business leaders of America in high school. And so I always had an inkling that I would be headed to or like that I would be doing something business oriented and so I definitely wanted to go to a school that had either a very strong undergraduate business program or a strong economics program um, as you kind of hinted at proximity was an important factor so my parents actually did not let me apply to any schools on the west coast I probably would have applied to you know like Stanford and Berkeley and a few other schools if they had been a little bit more open to it, but they were pretty reluctant. So I think the the school that I applied to that was the furthest west was probably Northwestern. Um, but I ended up applying to, I think, a total of nine schools. So I really wanted to go to Wharton. So I applied there early decision, um, got rejected straight up. And, you know, I was really bummed about that just because, the undergraduate program is really strong and uh, my two closest friends who had quote unquote replaced um, Doug and Tara were also trying to get into Penn. Uh, we all got rejected early decision. Um, so we kind of had to retool um, and, you know, ultimately we all ended up at, at good schools. Uh, you know, one of us went to Princeton, I went to Cornell and the other went to Northwestern. Um, but I think my, ultimately my decision to go to Cornell was based on the fact that it had a strong undergraduate business program and I received a little bit of, of scholarship money. So ultimately my decision came down to Cornell versus University of Virginia. And I actually really liked UVA, but stupidly forgot to apply for their um, Jefferson Scholars program. So I just like missed the deadline and that was for their full scholarship. And, you know, I don't think I was as interested in going um, without scholarship money. So that, that ruled that out. And then I just felt like Cornell's business program was a better fit for me than you know, trying to do economics at Northwestern. So ultimately landed at Cornell and, you know, I have no regrets about that. I had a great four years there and we can I'm happy to talk a little bit more about my time at Cornell if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, would would probably enjoy hearing that. I guess um, you have a focus now on business, and you kind of end up at this really incredible institution. Um, and, and what was it when you set foot kind of on Cornell's campus? Was this something that you had already visited a number of times, just because you were already so close? Mm -hmm. uh, what was it like, kind of starting out there? Yeah, I had actually I failed to mention this, but between my junior and senior years of high school, so the summer before um, senior year, I had. I had been at Cornell taking an intro to business class. Um, so I was already pretty familiar with the campus. A bunch of people from that program actually ended up um, as my classmates, some of whom were in the business program, some of whom ended up studying other things. And so I, I arrived at school with like a light network, I would say. Um, you know, I think going to college is interesting. It's, you know, an 18 year old's first time truly being free you know I didn't really go to any sleepaway camps or anything like that as a child 
Um, so this was totally new to me. And I think because of that, I definitely had a little bit of a harder time adjusting um, during freshman fall um, just because I got into this terrible sleep schedule of, um, you know, I'd stay up really late or I'd, I wouldn't get a start on my homework until like, you know, 11 p.m., stay up to like three or four working, go to sleep, have to wake up for a 9 a.m. class inevitably fall asleep during said 9 a.m. class because I was super tired, um, you know, and then come back, nap in between classes, eat dinner, again, mess around for a while until like 11 p.m. and then the cycle repeats itself. So I got into a really bad um, routine, I think, freshman fall, and that definitely affected my my GPA. So my freshman fall, I think, was the worst semester that I had academically, even worse than the semester that I was pledging my fraternity. Um, so it took me a little bit, a little bit of time to just get adjusted to having to make my own schedule and having that freedom. Um, it's definitely something that I enjoyed, but I needed to, I needed a little bit of time to get into that rhythm. Um, you know, I also started smoking a lot more marijuana during during that time frame. <laughs> so that didn't necessarily help my productivity. Um, but had a great time. I really bonded with my roommate, Max, who ended up in the same fraternity as me. Um, and, you know, we were, we were roommates or apartment mates for three of the four years I was in college. Um, we're still good friends to this day. And so I'm very... Um, I was very lucky because we were totally randomly matched, but we ended up having a very similar set of set of interests. Um, and so, you know, I've heard of a lot of people who didn't necessarily have that experience with a random roommate or freshman year. So that was that helped for sure. Oh, for sure. And Jordan, you mentioned that kind of you and your roommate were both also in the same fraternity. For for those folks that aren't really necessarily as familiar with kind of the the Greek scene, um, would you mind just describing what that's like at at, at Cornell and um, how you decided mm -hmm. to become involved? Yeah. So I mean, when I arrived on campus, I was super anti fraternity. I was like, you know, I had a lot of preconceived notions. You know, there. Fraternities are generally portrayed in popular media as a bunch of meatheads who just spend all their time drinking and partying. Um, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, there are definitely some fraternities on at any campus where that where that is true. But I think a lot of people overlook the the diversity of the fraternity scene. Cornell had a very prominent Greek system, so I think roughly, I want to say a third of the student body was involved in, in Greek life, which is much higher than most schools. So there were probably over 40 fraternities on campus. Um, and then, you know, like a dozen sororities. The sororities are much bigger than the fraternities. Um, but I think the fact that there were so many allowed for um, just the creation of a diverse set of houses and so you know you had engineering the engineering frat or you would have like the sprint football frat or the lacrosse frat and then each each house kind of has its own personality and so the frat that i ended up joining uh delta cap epsilon aka deke uh you know kind of like an eclectic mix of guys we weren't the, we for sure weren't the coolest guys on campus um but we had a good time and we lived in this um cat it, it's a castle and i can show you a picture of it sometime <laughs> um but it, it was a great it was a great time you know i, I obviously got past my my anti-fraternity um bias and i ended up pledging my sophomore fall so at cornell what's common is you arrive on campus as a freshman, freshman fall, you're not allowed to rush because you're, you know, adapting to the college environment, getting used to everything. And then most people who are interested in Greek life will will rush and pledge during freshman spring. 
you know, I was still like, eh, I'm not really interested, so I'm going to kind of sit back. All of my friends ended up joining the same house, and so I spent a ton of time freshman spring just kind of like hanging out at the house and getting to know some of the brothers. Um, you know, obviously that was a positive experience because I ended up um, joining the house, and I really have zero regrets about that to this day. Most of my best friends from Cornell, probably by virtue of spending so much time with them at the house, um, were were from Deke, uh, you know, the best man at my we- at my wedding, which is now moved to 2021, um, also a Deke guy. So those friendships have been long-lasting um, and very fruitful. fruitful. And so, Jordan, just give us a little bit more sense of kind of what, what was going on kind of throughout your college experience. It sounds like um, being part of Deke was one of the kind of major areas that, mm-hmm. that took up a lot of your time and effort and kind of you were setting business. Um, what were you thinking about kind of throughout your college experience? Um, it sounds like you always knew you wanted to go into business. Was that kind of what underlied a lot of the stuff that you got involved with? Um, what, what were you What were you doing? Yeah, I mean, I think I I always definitely had business at the core of my academic experience, um, and it definitely informed um, my professional path and goals. But at the same time, I was always really curious about a lot of other different things. So I think I, like, added and dropped double majors and minors like like they were candy. Um, I took a bunch of classes in the development sociology department, um, took classes around international development. I took a class around education policy, which was one of my favorite classes. Um, and so there were like a lot of other areas that I was exploring. Uh, one of the other, the two, well, I guess the two other big extracurricular commitments that I have that I had aside from the fraternity was I was very involved in this organization called Bridges to Community. Um, so they're like an international nonprofit, but they have chapters on various college campuses. And each spring break, there's a student-led trip down to um, a Central American country. So we went to Nicaragua every year um, just to do like community development work there. And so that was a a huge focus for me. I went on the trip as a participant my freshman year um, just because I thought it was a really cool opportunity. I had stumbled across it like at the club fair uh, during the first or second week of school. I thought it was really interesting, really like the people that were involved. Um, So I went on the trip my freshman year. I had an absolute blast. Um, You know, we were in this rural region of Nicaragua called Ciuna. Uh, we were focused on, you know, building smoke-free stoves and latrines for 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 these impoverished families. Um, I had a really great time and took on leadership roles my, my sophomore, junior, and senior years there. Ended up going back as a as a student leader during my junior year, which is actually coincidentally how I met my my now fiance Abby uh, on that trip, and so that was one big focus extracurricularly. And the second one was um, I had this really great statistics professor, um, Cindy Van S. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, statistics is a very boring subject, but she was just like so enthusiastic about it. Um, so I ended up TAing for her um, over five different semesters in two different statistics courses. Um, but, but yes, I think to your point, I always knew that I wanted to do something related to business and, you know, much like, much like business school, the undergraduate program was a buzz with consulting and banking, you know, like those were, it's like a false dichotomy. Do you want to go into consulting or do you want to go into banking? And you never realize that there's like these third, fourth, fifth or sixth choices. Um, so I kind of got sucked into that hype um, and ended up pursuing the, the consulting path. I had a kind of a non-traditional route into consulting. So, you know, I mentioned I had this service orientation throughout my, my college time. And one of the things that I did was Deloitte and Teach for America hosted this thing, this like alternative spring break where they took a bunch of college kids down to, to Memphis. And it was kind of like this hybrid of community service, but also like, get excited about 
consulting thing. Um, so they, they used it definitely as, as a way to sell. Um, so I did that between my sophomore and or the spring break of my sophomore year. And then based on my participation in that, I got invited off cycle to interview for an internship at Deloitte. Um, so I, it was weird because I, I was the only person interviewing for an internship in the fall while everyone else was a senior interviewing for full-time roles. Um, so I don't really know how that, how that worked, um, but I kind of backdoored my way into an internship with Deloitte between my junior and senior years. Um, ended up working on like a healthcare provider project doing some, some cost reduction work. Had a really great team. Had a good experience, I think. For anyone that's interned in consulting and then converted to full time, they try their hardest to make the the intern the intern experience so positive um, that you'll convert to full time, and then you get there for full time, and it's like, oh, actually, you know, now you get now you get to work eighty hour weeks, and <laughs> now you have to do all this other additional work. Um, but regardless, I had kind of like a non traditional path into Deloitte. Um, you know, I ended up getting. Uh, an offer to come back full time and took it kind of on the spot. You know, I, in retrospect, probably should have waited and tried to interview at other firms just to, just to see. Um, but I think my laziness got the best of me at that specific point. Um, so I gladly accepted the offer to return. Um, and I think it was nice going into senior year and not having a ton to worry about from um, a recruiting perspective, which is the total opposite from what I did uh, in business school. Um, but that was a nice way to free up a lot of time during senior year just to kind of enjoy um, the last year at school. And Jordan, I, I want to talk to you about kind of the your, your time kind of in consulting and then kind of how you progressed. But before that, mm-hmm. just wanted to take a step back and, and talk about how you kind of got to know Abby. Um, you had mentioned and a lot of folks yeah. know that um, she's your fiance and um, you guys are getting married pretty soon now. Um, was it love at first sight when you guys were on this trip or, or how did that <laughs> kind of relationship manifest itself? Yeah. So, I mean, we had we had had some brief interactions beforehand because I was um, at that point the like the finance director for the organization. So I was processing all the payments and handling a lot of the logistical things. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say it was love at first sight. It's weird to say that, um, but we kind of, we kind of played this weird, um, I'll call it a game now. Um, We were essentially two, being very like shy with each other. Um, Abby in in her recent recounting of this story says that she had recently read somewhere that like, if you can tell that someone likes you, if you're in a group in like a circle and their feet are pointing at you. So allegedly (laughs) my feet were always, my, my feet were always pointing at her. And so that's how she knew that I liked her. Um, And, you know, it was a very small group on this trip. There were, two guys so she really had not a lot of choices there um and i think it was like seven 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 girls um so we got to know each other pretty well over the course of the trip and then we started dating officially um in the may in may of 2012 so it's been just over eight years now and we're still still going strong thankfully (laughs) that's that's incredible um, I'll have to remember that feet pointing idea. Um, and so Jordan, <laughs> you, you and Abby are, are kind of together now and you have this return off mm-hmm. from, from Deloitte and you're entering your senior year. Um, kind of what's going through your mind now, this last year of, of kind of, I guess, freedom before you start full-time work. And can you walk me through kind of how you spent that time right before <clears throat> you kind of started, started work again? Yeah. Um, you know, I think my, because I didn't have to recruit and because I had, you know, t- had, I had kind of front loaded my academic credits. So I was taking, I took pretty heavy um, workloads my, my sophomore and junior year, um, partially under the, under the impression that I was going to have like a double major or a minor or something. 
Um, but also just to free up time on the back end. So my senior year was very light academically. I was focused on just like building connections with people, spending time with my friends and not having to worry about um, the, just like having to, to find a job or having to recruit. So I definitely indexed pretty heavily on, on the social aspect. I was living in a house with eight other guys at that point. And so, you know, really easy to always find somebody who's looking to hang out or looking to do something. Um, I'm trying to think of anything cool I did senior year. Yeah, I mean, because I had done my freshman, sophomore, and junior year spring breaks had all been community service oriented. It was Nicaragua and then Memphis for the Deloitte TFA thing, and then Nicaragua again. I was like, okay, senior year spring, I kind of owe it to myself to like do something fun. So I ended up going down to Miami for Miami Music Week and Ultra. I think I saw like seven or eight days straight of music and had a really good time. My body was broken <laughs> by the time I got back. Um, but, but, but I think the, the overarching theme for my senior year was just like, you know, it's your last year before you have to go into this you know, what I knew was going to be a demanding job before you are, you know, uh, a fully functioning, responsible adult who has all of these other, um, you know, real life obligations and responsibilities. And so I tried to over-index on just like enjoying my last year um, of, of school. And so Jordan, you're now graduating from Cornell. Um, you're, you have this full-time job and then you, you move to New York. Um, I mean, it's not something that's mm-hmm. quite new to you. I mean, you're, you're from New Jersey. Um, can you take us through kind of what that was like the, the years after you finished school and now you're, you're a fully functioning human, you're, you're an adult, you're a grown up now. Yeah. So, uh, my, we, I moved to Manhattan first. Um, so, you know, I was living with three guys from college, they were all um, fraternity brothers. And we were like, all right, we want to be like in the heart of New York City. We want to be super accessible, close to the subways, et cetera. So we ended up getting a place in Midtown West. It was like right on 7th Avenue between Times Square and Central Park. So super loud all the time, just like a lot going on. And, you know, I think we, we had a great first year. Ultimately, I think we burned out on Manhattan. Um, you know, it might have been a combination of the fact that we most most of us were working pretty long hours. So one of the other, one of my other roommates was also at Deloitte. He was in um, the human capital practice. I was in strategy and operations. Um, so we were both working pretty long hours. We were both traveling frequently. Um, and it's just like a busy New York lifestyle as someone who's just graduated from college. So, um, you know, there's a lot of meeting up with friends, going out to bars. Um, Deloitte was, you know, as you know, as someone who's worked there, is big on, like, Friday happy hours and just, like, getting people to be social, um, which is actually one of the things that I disliked about Deloitte's culture a little bit. Um, was the fact that there's always the expectation that you're like going out and having a bunch of drinks with people. Um, you know, if folks who know me know that I don't necessarily have the best relationship with authority. Um, so I definitely struggled a little bit with um, the like the expectations that were set by senior managers and partners, especially the the local office champions just around like being a part of the community. Um, and being super involved and doing all these things and being very deferential. Um, you know, I think Deloitte had a, does a really good job of recruiting super driven, super smart analysts and consultants who are fresh um, graduates from, from college. I didn't, and so I have, I built a ton of really strong connections there and I still keep in touch with most of, a lot of the folks from my, from my start class, even though most of us left within two years of starting um, at, at the firm, but I struggled a little bit more just with like the, the folks who were managers, senior managers and partners. Um, and so my, my own experience at Deloitte was uneven. It was a little bit rocky. You know, I think 
the BAC community was very supportive and very helpful. And we kind of like had this shared struggle around, you know, staffing, being staffed on shitty projects with shitty teams. And, you know, I think for anyone that's worked in consulting or wants to work in consulting, the, the experience can be really, really positive And then it can turn on a dime. Um, you can have everything going for you. Great hours, great team, local project. And then, you know, because analysts don't really have a ton of agency in the staffing process, you know, now you're stuck on this, you know, financial services project that's long-term and you're traveling every week and you don't necessarily drive with the team. And that's just like the reality of life. And so I think it's some people really enjoy that lifestyle. I, I quickly wore tired of it. And I think one of the biggest struggles that I had with Deloitte, you know, I think recognizing that it's a really good learning environment and it's a very sought after skill set by other companies and other employers. Um, I just struggled with the fact that at the end of the day, most of the time you're consulting for like a Fortune 500 company um, that's already doing just fine and you're essentially helping them make more money. And I think I just didn't, that wasn't motivating for me. And I, I, I wanted to pursue a more fulfilling career. So after about two years, with the firm, um, I started looking elsewhere. Um, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier that I had taken this really interesting education policy class when I was at Cornell. And, you know, I was, I was like, you know, maybe there is something to this, to this education piece. Um, the, the, the alternative spring break trip that Deloitte hosted in, um, partnership with TFA was also education focused. And so I had kind of this like, um, I wouldn't call it a foundation, but I had a couple of foundational experiences around education. And I was really interested um, in seeing what type of work I could get in the education space. So ultimately, um, I landed at this education nonprofit called New Classrooms. I was their first financial planning and analysis hire. Um, and that's where I spent the next three years of my career uh, before I decided to come get my MBA. And Jordan, I mean, as many of kind of us know and people that are listening kind of are aware is, is you have such kind of passion for, for this for this area and kind of how to give back to other people. Um, what was the experience like at New Classrooms? Um, you were there for a while. Um, were you were you living mm-hmm. in the same place that you were? Um, I guess you said you you kind of grew weary of Manhattan, but were you still living with the same roommates? Um, what was kind of the work mm-hmm. like? Just what was it like for those three years? Yeah, we so after the we spent one year in Manhattan. I'll quickly touch on like whereabouts in New York I was living, and then we were like, ah, I don't think we want to. The hustle and bustle was great, but we want to just get a little bit further away. So we ended up, like many yuppies, moving out to Williamsburg for a year. Um, so we we started out as a group of four. Um, the fourth guy didn't really want to move into Brooklyn. And so three of us ended up moving to Brooklyn, um, where I lived for a year. And then because Abby was two years younger than me at Cornell, we were dating via I won't call it long distance because it's like upstate New York to the city. So it was like short to medium distance. Um, but Abby graduated in 2015, excuse me, and moved down to New York City for a job. And so I actually moved in with Abby in 2015. Um, and we moved to the Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood in Brooklyn. And we were there for... I think most of the time, if not all the time, I was working at new classrooms. So I was commuting in from Bed-Stuy into um, kind of close to like Herald Square, Koreatown, which is where the office was located. Um, in terms of like the, the work itself, it was totally different from from Deloitte. So, I mean, Deloitte's got a ton of structure. It's business casual at the very least. You know, I was on a financial services project where I had to wear a suit every day. Um, you know, the nonprofit life was much more chill. Um, The hours were pretty defined. Uh, You know, it was very much like a soft 9.30 start, hard 5.30, 
end. And so I felt like I was actually getting a lot of my life back. So I was, I started running more regularly. I started lifting weights more regularly. I started cooking more regularly and just felt like I had so much more time to, to do other things in my life. Um, you know, it was a, a nice transition because, you know, I had moved in with Abby whereas previously I had been traveling for consulting with, without living with her. Um, but I think it would have been tough to be on the road all the time and have her um, kind of be in the apartment by herself for four days, four days out of the week. So that was nice to get part of my life back. Um, and then like the, culturally, I think they were two very different organizations as well. Um, you know, New Classrooms was probably 70 or 75 people at the time that I joined, so not super small, um, but it was, you know, you could wear a t-shirt and shorts into the office, which I leaned into very hard. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of, a big fan of casual dress at work. Um, and, you know, it was just, I think it was like a different mix of people ultimately too. Whereas with at Deloitte, you, you have a lot of people who came from the same schools or the same types of schools. You know, you have a lot of MBA grads who are getting into consulting at the senior consultant or manager level. Um, and there's like a very, it's a lot of type A, go, go, go all the time, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it just felt like there's a lot more diversity in terms of perspectives, upbringing, um, you know, where people had worked before in, in the nonprofit space. And I really enjoyed that. And we were all kind of united under this passion for trying to improve public education in the United States. And that was, you know, honestly, a great motivating factor for me. Um, and, you know, great group of people at New Classrooms. Ultimately, I decided after a few years to get my MBA because there wasn't really a clear trajectory for me within the organization. You know, I was the first FPNA hire. I came on. We didn't even have a CFO. So for a while I was, you know, I, w I wouldn't go as far to call myself the interim CFO, but I was doing a lot of things that ultimately got handed off to the CFO when when he joined. Um, so it was a good, great opportunity for me to kind of like stretch myself and get a lot of exposure to the senior leadership, work with them on strategic initiatives that involved finance inputs. But once the CFO joined, there wasn't really, I couldn't, there wasn't really any further up I could go at my given level. And so I started looking more seriously at MBA programs as a way to, um, number one, not necessarily get pigeonholed into the finance function. And number two, just explore other options in the broader social impact space. Thanks, Jordan. And, and as, as we kind of wrap up here, um, is, is there anything else that you'd want to share with um, kind of the people listening in here today? Obviously, you've had an incredible kind of career and, and, and kind of are doing some incredible things now in business school. But is there anything else that you'd want to just share with the, the folks listening today? Ooh, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, not really. I mean, I think like, for me, like reflecting back on my on my MBA experience, I had a, a great two years. Um, you know, for, for all the folks at home, I'm still kind of poking around and seeing where the right fit is for me full time. Um, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, you come to the MBA and people are like, oh, yeah, you can totally use your summer to explore different things. And I think that holds true for some spaces. And it's doesn't necessarily hold true for others. I think it's a little bit harder for people to make a really significant pivot if you're not going into like consulting, for example, um, but doing like an industry to industry pivot, that can be a little bit more challenging for people. Um, so I think it's just like, I don't necessarily regret any of the decisions that I made because I also had a really good internship between first and second year. Um, but I think I do regret maybe not putting as much intentional thought into what I wanted to do um, full time. And I, you know, I find myself struggling with that, with that now and trying to make, you know, just accept what's happening. Um, you know, COVID has obviously thrown a big wrench into everyone's plans, but 
you know, there, I, I've, I think I've struggled a little bit with what I really want to do and, um, you know, what my actual potential career path is. And I don't, I don't expect to have any of that figured out. A lot can obviously change, but I do wish that I had maybe spent a little bit more time during first year, not super hyper-focused on like getting an internship, but maybe looking a little bit longer term. That's great to hear, um, Jordan, and I think that's great advice. Um, that once again, that's Jordan Lee. Um, he's a recent graduate of the Haas School of Business, and an overall incredible individual who's been really passionate and been focused on kind of social impact, and has done some really incredible work. And I'm excited to see where he decides to go next. Um, Jordan, thanks again for for taking the time, and looking forward to staying in touch here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brian.